Welcome to Science Questions. I am Sherry Quinn. And I am Susie Montgomery. The coyote, I say coyote, Canis latrans, is notoriously detested by ranchers for feasting on their livestock and despised by human hunters for outcompeting them, thinning choice elk, deer, and pronghorn antelope hunting grounds. Coyotes leave a big impression for a small predator. They are about the weight of a medium-sized dog. Their pelt has a grayish-yellow hue with white around the throat and belly that, until the 1990s, went in and out of fashion as coats. Unlike the larger, more feared canid, the wolf, coyotes have expanded their range in the wake of human civilization. The American Indians were the first ones to experience firsthand its character. Ed Galindo is a member of the Yaqui tribe in Arizona. Coyotes in many native cultures are considered tricksters. They're the ones that, that stir up the pot. They're the ones that challenge the norm. They're the ones that do the opposite of what most people think because that's their mission. And I've been brought up to leave through my grandmother's own stories that because they do that, they're given special powers. And their powers is that uh, humans really can't bother them too much. Not only have coyotes pervaded folklore, inseparable from impressions of the American West, they have populated nearly every environment in North America. Their long legs allow them to run fast, 40 miles per hour for short distances, and they cover a lot of ground, up to 100 miles a day. They are opportunistic hunters who will feed on virtually anything, from seeds and grasshoppers to melons, mice, and whatever else is available, livestock being one. Lambs are especially easy prey. A coyote's lamb dinner is a five-star meal costing the United States livestock industry roughly a billion dollars a year. Despite the hundred-year nationwide effort to shoot or poison them to keep them out of livestock, the coyotes continue to thrive, and their population is expanding across the globe. Paul Cross is a wildlife biologist with the United States Geological Survey. Coyotes, because we've persecuted them for decades, have become very, very savvy about these human things that they need to avoid in order to survive. So we've, we've basically engineered them to be really smart. And now we're trying to figure out how we can be smarter than them, but we haven't yet succeeded. So it's only the really smart ones that make it, and we continue to shoot the stupid ones, and now we have this incredibly smart population of coyotes. Chad Edgington herds thousands of sheep in the mountains east of Huntsville in northern Utah. Edgington was wearing a white, short-sleeved collared shirt and blue jeans. He was very cordial as he drove us throughout the range, snacking from his bag of baby carrots. I consider myself a steward of the range. I'm, I'm here to protect the range, to improve the range, to take care of the livestock, and to protect them. In his truck, we climbed through the lush green aspen forest, as he told us about the perils he faces with his sheep herd. Uh, you look at it, it's beautiful. I feel like I'm feeding the country and clothing the country. Not very much, but in a small way. You're contributing, you're, you're watching something be born, uh, you're nurturing it, you fight the elements. I mean, I've had lambs, ewes get killed by lightning, get hit by cars. Uh, there's all sorts of things that happen. Every day's different, and there's lots and lots of things that I enjoy about it. The only thing I don't enjoy about it is the predators. Anything can happen out here, he says. And it was a bumpy ride for Susie and I, 
as we drove unsuspectingly up and down narrow dirt roads with him. This isn't an eight, is not an atypical day, and you know somebody just shot our dog. Border collies and Great Pyrenees help herd and protect the sheep from predators. Edgington was explaining that he spends five thousand dollars a year on dog food. When up ahead, we see a group of men, Peruvian men, and to us, quite surprising, considering we are just outside of Huntsville, Utah. The herders, about a dozen of them, are all from Peru. Americans will not do the job. I would support the families of America if they were willing to do it, but they're not. The men worked three years on his range, tending the sheep for $750 a month. They send the money to their families back home in Peru. Can I speak Spanish? <laughs> Your family's okay in Peru? Yes, it's okay. Uh, my wife sends some my niña. Oh, a baby that's three months old. Mm-hmm. You never see? No. Only in picture you see. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. <laughs> Never seen his kids. The white dogs help with the coyotes? Yes, mucho. No white dog. Every night I eat one lambs. Yeah, yeah there's white dog chasing coyote. Yeah. Do you hear them every night? Yes. Poppies, this big coyote. That's mucho. Javier says sometimes the coyotes will trick the big white dogs the Great Pyrenees. A coyote will howl on one side of the herd, and while the dogs go after it, another coyote will ambush the herd from the opposite side of the chase and complete the kill. (coughs) Further along the road, we stopped to pick up one of Edgington's horses, who was bleeding from a leg wound. Then the oldest herder, 62-year-old Luciano, ran out to the truck with a coyote's tail in his hand. I shoot coyote this morning. Oh, you killed one this morning? See? Mucho coyote here in this place. Mucho coyote. I see every day this morning I catch this. Mucho música la noche. Oh, oh, all night. Ya otros días también mataba allá y... Pero trampero también no viene. One of the herders, that's his life's goal, is to send his kids to college. I mean, these guys are here full-time. They're away from their families. You know, they don't go home at night and worry about what's on TV. Or, And I think these guys are the pure in heart. We ended our tour at the sheep corral, where they weigh and ship the lambs. They are calibrating the livestock scales before lambing starts in a week. Uh, well, we're in the sheep business, and it's always a constant battle. That is sheep herder David Earl from Beaver Dam, Utah. I don't think every coyote in the country needs to be killed. But uh, you get out on the Forest Service and, and our wildlife is dwindling fast. How much do you think they cost you every year? I was figuring the other day, and, and, and I won't know until we come to Krell, but I, I'm, I'm estimating between the desert loss and my lamb and ground loss and here I'm going to be looking between fifteen to $20,000 this year. It's the worst year we've had in a long time. And these aren't no professional hunters, these sheep herders. <laughs> it's got to be like shooting poodles for them to get them. Yeah. 
They're pretty hard to shoot, aren't they? They are. They're, they're pretty not small. Very big. <laughs> you get the height off them. They're pretty small. Mm-hmm. And they're not dumb. They're not dumb. That's why they're here. Bears another problem. We got resident bear here that's pecking on us all the time. Mm-hmm. Not like the coyote. This this coyote my herders killed yesterday was so full of lambs. How they caught him. He was slow, was old, old, and so full he couldn't run. Coyotes are the meek because the, they're always here and they're going to inherit it when it's all gone. They're, you never get rid of the coyotes. I mean, you heard them. Those those comments. Oh, mucho coyote, mucho coyote. You know, they're all over. You hear at dusk and listen to them howl. Yeah. They'll just yap all the way around you. Week before last, we took six out of my sheep. Trapper did. Had a good week. Six coyotes. Six coyotes. And they're laying down there in a pile if you want to see them. There is no more despised animal in the United States, except possibly rats, than the coyote. And there are people who refer to them as rats. Why that should be so is an interesting question. Bounty hunters comprised of U.S. Citizens and Wildlife Services, a branch of the United States Department of Agriculture, kill upwards of 100,000 coyotes every year. Yet despite the large death toll, coyotes continue to thrive and pester the livestock industry. Kirk Robinson is the executive director of the Western Wildlife Conservancy in Salt Lake City. He was born and raised in Utah and comes from a long line of farmers and ranchers in Utah and Idaho. A wholesale campaign to try to rid the earth of coyotes. It's not just ridiculous, it's just it's morally wrong. Coyotes are not vermin. Coyotes are extremely intelligent animals. Sheep herders lose 5% of their sheep herd to predation every year, according to the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. This year was particularly bad, closer to 10%. David Earle says they are not killing enough coyotes. The Wildlife Services does all my work, plus my men that work for me. Instead of killing, you know, 100 animals a winter, we've been killing 40 and 50, and it's just they're multiplying. You know, we're not not keeping up. Chad takes every opportunity he can. If I'm entitled to kill them, I'm going to kill them. And I'm going to kill them when I see them. They don't have to be in my livestock. To The coyotes don't. Others do. If they're not going to live with the animals that are native and respect them, then I cannot have much sympathy for the fact that it's hard to make a living doing sheep grazing on the public rangelands. Coyotes evolved with native species, and there is an ecological harmony of a sort between them and their habitat and other species, and when you start removing them, you cause problems. One of them is the mesopredator release hypothesis. According to Robinson, populations of medium-sized predators, such as foxes, ravens, and badgers, will surge when larger predators are eliminated from an area. And that leaves smaller prey species, native songbirds, greater sage-grouse, especially vulnerable to the mid-sized omnivores, who could collectively eat them to extinction. The USDA Wildlife Services tries to control livestock predators, typically by shooting or poisoning them. Mike Linnell is director of Wildlife Services in Utah. It's a very potentially polarizing issue because they're charismatic animals and some people love them and and don't think they should ever be killed or removed and others want every single one dead because it's 
for their own reasons. It's affecting their livelihood or threatening them or there's just a, a natural fear of them. I want to maybe get the coyotes out of a local area, but I'm not trying to, to get rid of every coyote in the state. Ranchers pay an annual fee to the government agency for these lethal services. Robinson says ranchers discourage non-lethal methods of controlling coyotes. All of this is, requires more labor and more money, and it makes it harder for them to make a living. So they want to instead to have the public kill the, the animals. I think that is un-American, although it's an American tradition. It's a holdover from the Old West. Utah Commissioner of Agriculture Leonard Blackham sees the livestock industry as extremely valuable economically to the entire state of Utah. The livestock industry provides in total here about a billion dollars worth of sales in the state of Utah. Most livestock people spend uh, very local. Of course, that causes that stimulus impact. In the state of Utah, we found that production agriculture generates about 2% of the state economy, but when you put food processing on top of it, it's 14% of the state economy, and it, it amounts to about 66,000 jobs in the state. So agriculture is important. We know it's all important because we like to eat. It's also important from an economic point of view as well. It is not just about the money for ranchers such as Edgington. It is a proud way of life. One thing that I think is interesting is most of the people that work with sheep don't drive fancy cars and do fancy things. If they won the lottery, they would probably go try to buy some more range and some more livestock so they could do more. Sometimes it's the emotions of the situation. I mean, you're doing your best to keep everything alive and keep them healthy, and in comes a, a coyote, you know, and rips a bunch of them apart, and sometimes they'll kill a lot more than what they need to eat because they're just enjoying it. And, and to, you know, come upon a herd and see all that damage out there is really disheartening. You know, I may be an extremist. I, I'm, I'm extremely upset when, when every time I hear, I mean, that lamb that was killed last night. I'm not upset that I don't have $115. I, I don't look at it like, oh, God, now I won't be able to make my truck payment. It's frustrating that I can't take care of my livestock. I want to get them shipped as soon as I can so that I take them to a safe place. It's strange, maybe, but that's how I feel. About 10% of a sheep herd sales are for wool. The rest is sold for meat. Commissioner Blackham is a fifth-generation farmer and rancher from Moroni in central Utah, once the largest sheep herding community in the nation. My grandfather's a sheep man, and we've always been turkey people. Uh, not too many people eat lamb, and demand for wool is not what it used to be. Now, the last few years, like the sheep industry has been quite a bit better, and we've kind of stabilized but it's still a, a tremendous challenge to survive out there with all the predators we have because it's not just coyotes. you got bears, you got cougars, you got uh, eagles or a problem with young lambs, and now we got wolves coming into the state of Utah a little bit. So, uh, But coyotes are still the major problem, especially with the sheep industry, and uh, if you haven't had a good lamb chop, you don't know what you're missing. My golly, good leg of lamb, you know, cut slow. The livestock industry's value aside, conservationist Kirk Robinson disagrees with the commissioner and his management practices. Discriminating among kinds of species and saying these are the good species and these are the bad species. Let's do everything we can do to produce more of these, quote, good species 
and do what we can reasonably do to reduce the number of these, quote, bad species. That's to treat wild nature as though it's a big farm or ranch, and I am utterly opposed to that. It shows a complete lack of respect for nature, and in most cases, I think, a profound misunderstanding of the workings of nature. It's not always the case that the people in power are doing the right thing. I think we know that um, from many examples. Robinson, as much as possible, wants nature left alone, and Blackham argues a need for intervention and control. I think there's something that we need to stress here, and that's the importance of uh, maintaining a balance out there. If man wasn't here, and, and the coyotes have been here forever, and if their food source reduces and the number of coyotes reduce, that doesn't happen when man lives in the environment and have livestock. But once man is in the setting and they have their animals, then that's the new food source. And if you look at the coyotes, we've been doing this for all my lifetime, trying to control coyotes, and that's all we're doing is controlling the situation. Uh, they are very prolific. They have lots of pups. If there's lots of feed out there for them, they do well. And so about all we're doing is holding our own with all the efforts that's being made here. And if we didn't do predator control in this state, you'd see the coyote numbers increase to the point where livestock producers couldn't exist. It seems like everything we try to do, that's all we do is keep a balance. I'm lost, lost down a broken pathway. The clashing perspectives of the rancher and the conservationist sprang authentically from differing priorities. Tracking the indomitable coyote requires confronting these political and ethical arguments. In a sense, the coyote is holding up a mirror, forcing us to examine our presence in the ecosystem, and not just out on the range. Coyotes and humans have had increasingly frequent interactions in the past decade, as humans sprawl into coyote territory, or conversely, as they move into ours. Their dispersion rates have expanded. In fact, they have reached Alaska and made their way down to Belize, and as far south as the Panama Canal. They just do very well wherever they establish. That was Eric Giese, Associate Professor of Wildland Resources at Utah State University. He studies the behavior and biology of predators and is working on ways to coexist with the coyotes in urban areas. You know, it's one of those unfortunate things where people have moved out into their landscape, uh, people with their ranchettes or, you know, wanting to get back to the nature and be in the wild. And so they, you know, they buy their 20 acres or five acres, build their house on it. And then they wonder why their little Fido is, doesn't want to go outside at night sometimes. So smaller dogs certainly have been injured. Some have been killed by coyotes. I mean, it's something that's, again, kind of on that urban wildland interface happens, you know, fairly frequently. I mean, literally there are people in some of these environments that put food out for the coyotes. And so, you know, they're just complicating the, the problem. Like it or not, Coyotes are living in our communities. Studies are underway at the National Wildlife Research Facility in Millville, nestled in the valley below the Wasatch Mountains in northern Utah. The focus of the facility is to provide ranchers with strategies to deal with coyotes. In Giese's words, 
He's researching ways to outwit the coyote. 200 coyotes are housed in pairs in spacious outdoor pens about the size of a tennis court. Geesey gets them howling. He goes first. Their howls are bone-chilling, part of their lore. We're finding these animals have personalities. Uh, some are you know, extremely shy, others are very bold, some are extremely wary, and some learn faster than others. So we have really have shifted away to this individual approach of managing the problem rather than you know, a population as a whole. The biological basis of coyote behavior is still largely unknown. Gizi and other researchers at the facility are trying to better understand their hormonal system so they can develop contraceptive methods to control their populations. We didn't even know the basic physiology. What are the endocrine patterns, uh, particularly like for females with estradiol, progesterone, relaxin, and then males, testosterone? What are those basic patterns so that when we start trying to manipulate things, we actually can measure it against a baseline. And for the first time in over five years, they have two litters of wild pups from dens on a ranch in Vernal, Utah, where their parents had been shot. Stacy Bremer is the manager of animal care at the facility. And essentially, we are taking care of these pups. These pups were brought in at um, three and four weeks old. And they are going to join our colony. They were wild pups brought in to help increase our genetic diversity. Feed them three times a day. We make sure they're healthy and well. So all that squeaking is a dominance display. And the one on the bottom will squeak, squeak, squeak to sort of say, okay, you win, you win. They're really sweet right now, but they, they're not like dog puppies. Coyotes are very individual. I actually like the ones that you could describe them as feisty. They are really what I consider the true coyote, are those ones that, oh, well, you know, they don't want to do it unless they choose to do it. You can see his little eyeballs are red. Uh -huh. So I'm going to put some eye drops in, and, oh, I get major growled at. <laughs> They're just amazing. They're agile and smart. And they get themselves into a lot of trouble. I mean, you can actually watch them watch us. They keep their paw on the pulse of what we're doing, I guess I would say. Similar to humans, coyotes are complicated beings with a multifaceted social system. They will pair for four to six years and have pups in the spring. There is a dominance hierarchy, 
and so the alpha pair is the only breeding pair. The other pack members are usually siblings and what are called betas or subordinates. They will help rear the pups and defend territory. When the alpha pair gets older, anywhere from 7 to 12 years old, their rank is challenged by younger pack members in their prime. There's also what we call transients, these young animals that perhaps dispersed from the pack, they can't find a vacancy, and so they're kind of floating over the landscape. They're using really big areas, whereas like, say, a, a resident pack might have, you know, 10 square miles, these transients might be covering 40 to 50 square miles. And they're kind of what we call just the floaters in the population. Their most notable trait is their extreme adaptability. They have a lot of what we call plasticity in their social system and in their behavioral repertoire. Coyotes have been caught now in downtown New York and Chicago and L.A., and they, they adapt. Giese and his graduate student have researched coyotes across the nation, and he tells a haunting story set in a Chicago suburb where they were radio tracking them. The coyotes were heading by the sports complex, and this is in the middle of the summer, and so people are out there playing you know, basketball on the lighted courts and playing tennis, and they had a baseball game going on. And this pair of coyotes just walked amongst all of that, just, you know, along the grass. And at one point, they then headed to uh, an area where a bunch of apartments were, and the coyotes were mousing, you know, and we were watching them with a night scope. You know, people were coming and going from the apartments. People were out there walking their dogs along the sidewalks, which was interesting because the coyotes actually did watch the dogs. We saw this couple uh, out walking with the a baby stroller and this pair of coyotes was walking down the sidewalk and the coyote just stepped onto the lawn as this couple went by. And I was just kind of like, I have to ask these people what they just thought of that. You know, we pulled up to the curb and asked them like, so what'd you think of that? And like, oh, we see those dogs all the time. So it was like, oh, they think they're dogs. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by USU's Anthropology Museum in Old Main. It's free, open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturdays, 10 to 4. Tomorrow, learn about the lore of the sea, including mermaids, sea serpents, and enchanted islands. Information is at anthromuseum.usu.edu. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll explore some of the fascinating music of the vast and varied country of India. And we'll also hear the music of South Asians living in other countries around the world. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for Flavors of India, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. Support for the call for science questions comes from the College of Science at Utah State University, where students step beyond the classroom participating in advanced research in the lab, field, and outer space. When students and faculty learn together, discovery follows. Information is at usu.edu science.
Coyotes were unheard of in big cities 50 years ago, since a few of their prey, like rabbits and deer, can roam more freely in urban areas without fear of predation. Coyotes take full advantage of these sitting ducks and hunt them in and around our neighborhoods. They're hunting on uh, golf courses, they're hunting in city parks, but they would den and rear pups like in a vacant lot, you know, that was wooded. I do remember one that was like kind of behind, you know, the post office. That's where this pair raised their pups. And boy, once that sun went down, they'd come out of that wooded area. We'd see them walking down the sidewalks, heading to the next city park, and they'd hunt in the trees and the brush in the city park, catching cottontail rabbits or feeding on a roadkill deer that was newly made there along the interstate. And then by morning, the coyote would be back, they'd be back into that wooded lot, and people didn't even know they were there. This is happening also with a lot of other animals, says Mike Linnell, State of Utah Wildlife Director for the United States Department of Agriculture. We're seeing increases of Canada geese in the urban interface where years ago, Canada geese, you'd never find them in the city. And we're seeing this with, with a lot of different animals, with raccoons and skunks and other types of animals. That's a growing problem, not just coyotes. And when you get them living that close to people, inevitably there's going to be more conflicts. Every year we get a few calls where a small dog or a cat is, is disappeared and, and been killed by a coyote. And now coyotes are even getting into our wine. Coyotes are attracted to sugar, and they're eating the sugared water lines that irrigate grapevines. Coyotes are also eating farmers' melon crops, ranchers' livestock. Wolf kills, cougar kills. They will eat juniper berries off of junipers that smell like gin. I mean, it's just amazing what they will eat. And this eating adaptability means trouble for humans. When you got problems, you got problems with a smart animal. <laughs> Geese, says, coyotes are difficult to kill because they are so smart and they learn to figure things out. They learn. One control device that maybe you put out there to try to deter them, they either will be wary of it for, you know, maybe a month or two, and then they kind of figure it out. It only goes off at a certain time. You know, it scares them, but then they get used to it and then start ignoring it. State Wildlife Manager Mike Linnell implements some of Geese's predator control methods. We try to develop non-lethal methods and use those whenever possible. Sometimes we have to lethally control the coyotes, and when we do, we try to, to use tools that are the most humane, effective, and, and efficient that we can. Using those criteria, what is the best way to kill coyotes? Coyotes howl at dusk and dawn to the military music at the U.S. Army Dugway Proving Ground. It's a continual war, and it's funded by the United States taxpayer, the citizens, you and me. We pay for them to fly around in these machines and shoot these animals and poison them. In order to benefit the sheep rancher, I don't think there's any sheep rancher in the western United States that doesn't graze his flocks, her flocks, on public lands part of the year. So that's another subsidy to the sheep industry. And it must also be said that the sheep are 
uh, do tremendous damage to the rangelands. The most popular lethal tool for eliminating coyotes is what is called aerial gunning. Coyotes are shot from a helicopter, usually in the wintertime before they breed. The program is considered vital to the USDA's wildlife services and represented as the most effective method for protecting livestock from coyote depredation. It is not without risk. Since 1989, Wildlife Services has crashed at least two dozen aircraft while gunning coyotes, resulting in several human fatalities. It is the old biblical laws of war strategy. If you want to win the war once and for all, don't leave anyone alive, especially the young. Kyle Stevens is the deputy commissioner of the Utah Food and Drug Administration and describes another lethal method aimed at the pups. Do they ever get gassed in their dens? If they find a den, uh, that's one of the control measures that can be used uh, where they put a, uh, some method of uh, lethal control in the den and uh, kill the pups so that they don't then become you know, predator problems uh, in the future. Utah conservationist Kirk Robinson is working to ban the M44, a spring-loaded cyanide device. It sits in the ground, there's a little bulb that sticks up a, a bit, and it's scented to attract coyotes or canids. So it could attract family dogs, foxes, wolves too, and has done. The animal bites on it, the spring releases, and it injects sodium cyanide crystals into the animal's mouth, which mixes with the saliva to create a gas that poisons the animal, and it dies within a few minutes, typically. Incidentally, two dogs have been killed by these devices in Utah in the last three or four years, one over near Vernal and one down by Richfield. And a man was, whose dog was killed by one was poisoned, too, as he carried his dog in his arms to try to, take, to save it. He still got problems. Wildlife services used to place thousands of M44s in the ground on public lands each year with warning signs posted nearby. Because of an increased use of public lands by hikers with dogs, now they only place about 200 of them a year, usually within locked gates. This device is still highly criticized for harming unintended victims. In June 2010, H.R. Bill 5643 was introduced in an effort to ban any placement of M44s on public land. The bill is still in committee. So far, nothing has really worked. They've even tried to pad the sheep's necks with lethal collars, poisoned with the deadly compound 1080. Because coyotes always go for the throat. Utah sheep herder Chad Edgington. They've done all kinds of things. They've put inner tube tires around their neck, putting a sleeve over their neck, you know, that mm -hmm. thick so that nothing can kill them. Seems a little ridiculous, but guys, some guys do it. Then there's the bounty on the coyote. Anyone can simply produce a set of ears or a tail and reap a $20 reward, a throwback from the Old West. The bounty is afforded by ranchers and farmers' fees and taxpayers' dollars. The intent is to benefit the county by reducing the coyote populations in those areas. Some states have, have just got away from the bounty for that reason because they think people are bringing coyotes in from the other state and they're just paying for that for people to go hunt up in Wyoming and then cash them in in Idaho. We're not trying to kill every coyote in the state and, and couldn't if we wanted to. Our goal is to manage damage. That probably means shooting them. 
we learned there are lots of ways to describe killing a coyote. Coyote populations in general can withstand probably 50 to 60% removal rate and still maintain their population size. Do they ever get gassed in their dens? Uh, that's one of the control measures that can be used. Uh, you know, some method of uh, lethal control in the den. Sometimes we have to lethally control the coyotes. Our goal is to manage damage. Despite the nationwide effort to kill coyotes and minimize livestock depredation, coyotes have held their ground. Their population has remained steady since the 1970s. Paul Cross is a research biologist for the United States Geological Survey. If you control coyotes by shooting them, often there's no net benefit towards reduced depredation on sheep or or lambs the following year or cattle calves the following year that you can hunt them very intensively and the next year you still have the same problems you had the year before they're very reproductively active and they seem to fill in those holes that you put in them every year you kill one coyote and two more coyotes will come to its funeral Agencies are currently experimenting with non-lethal ways to manage coyotes. Some of these scare tactics include guard dogs, llamas, fences, and radio-activated sirens known as rag boxes. If a coyote enters a, say, a pasture where there's uh, sheep or lambing, that this will detect their movement as they enter, say, under the fence, and all of a sudden these lights and sirens go off and it scares the coyote away from the area. Gisi is also working in the lab on coyote sterilization methods. We know it works on reducing predation on domestic sheep. Would it work on pronghorn fawns? We found pretty much by about a 40% reduction in uh, pronghorn fawn mortality with sterilized coyotes. So it does, it does change things. Allowing wolves from Yellowstone National Park to expand outside of the park is the best solution to controlling coyote populations and reducing their depredation of livestock according to Robinson. I submit that the cheapest and most effective way to reduce coyote depredation on agricultural animals would be to allow wolves to recolonize parts of their native uh, habitat. Three years after the return of the wolves, the population of coyotes in that northern range was reduced by 50%. Now, ironically, what does this suggest? Well, coyotes kill lambs and ewes. If you want to reduce coyote predation on lambs and ewes, maybe you should allow wolves to recolonize the area. The ranchers don't want to hear this. They'll deny it outright. They'll say it's unproven and so forth. They're, many of them are deathly afraid of wolves. Bless his heart for thinking that. You know, I don't care if you put a freight train in here and that runs over them, then we fight freight trains. Chad Edgington lost a few lambs and ewes, adult female sheep, to wolves in northern Utah this year. They can whip a coyote, but to think, well, let's just replace the coyotes with wolves, that's baloney. The the law now, because they're protected, says you catch the wolf, you trap the wolf. It's like they think it's a puppy dog out there. You put a collar on it so you can track it. This is after it's killed. Not before, but after it's killed. They release the wolf in the same place. If it causes problems again, then they catch it again and send it back to Yellowstone, where it came from originally. 
I don't understand the other side of the story. I don't understand the mystique of hearing a wolf howl at night or, you know, do whatever wolves do. They kill and they're, they're big and they eat a lot. And when they get into your livestock, you know, they kill them. And, they, and not only do they kill them, they scare the heck out of everything that they didn't kill. And, and they don't settle down. They hear the wind blow, they hear a tree crack, they hear anything, and they're always looking over their shoulder wondering because their brother just got killed. In Utah, the coyote is classified as an unprotected species. Or in other words, coyotes are left to defend themselves. Coyote management agencies, such as the USDA, focus their efforts on protecting livestock and big game populations from coyote depredation. To make sure there is plenty of big game for hunters, killing the coyotes is the preferred strategy. And hunters have a lot of say as hunting licenses provide an essential income stream for wildlife management agencies. Kevin Bunnell is the Mammals Program Director for the Utah Division of Wildlife Services. The act of hunting and the selling of permits raises money and that provides opportunity to do things for those species and um, and so that's the reason why you see more projects towards um, game animals than than non-game animals. They provide revenue. Why should hunters get to decide how many deer or elk or bighorn sheep or moose there are or coyotes? I think nature should decide that and if there is a surplus to hunt, fine. There is no panacea or silver bullet that takes care of all the problems that arise when humans and coyotes confront each other and compete for resources. While doing coyote behavior observations in Yellowstone National Park, Eric Giese was surprised to learn he was not the only observer. I was watching this pack, and at one point, one of the pack members came up right next to me and sat down. What are you watching? You know, what are you recording? You know, it was, it was, and it just sat there looking at me. And then finally, actually, it curled up and went to sleep. And then after a little bit, just kind of got up and yawned and, you know, stretched and just looked at me and headed back down, down the hill to the, to the pack. It was just like he was just checking me out, you know, like, you've been watching us. Now we're going to come see who you are. When it comes to all this coyote research, really, who is watching who? Producer Constance Crompton offers this essay about the coyote's enduring presence in our lives. From the romantic image in a country ballad and the howling silhouette mounted on a mailbox to the fashion statement of a park of trimmed in bushy fur or the warning of weathered trophy carcasses hanging from a rancher's fence, all the way to the name given to despicable smugglers who traffic in human lives, the coyote stalks our consciousness from kitsch to demon to myth. Cartoons make a joke of this wily creature, while native cultures have honored his clever yet foolish character and his seemingly magical power to survive. Native traditions give the coyote a place in the contradictory nature of life and the inevitability of chaos. The scientific name, Canis latrans, translates barking dog, while the Aztec source, coyotl, means trickster. This stealth animal has slipped through the centuries by an almost infinite adaptability, as at home on a remote butte, as dropping over a suburban fence, or foraging in a downtown alley. Happy to eat rodents, garbage, melons, and yes, livestock. The coyote walks in both worlds, the civilized and the wild. With our ever-expanding territory of housing developments and resort complexes, humans defy boundaries in four-wheeled vehicles called Armada, Explorer, and Odyssey. And there are stories when people 
and coyotes cross paths. The wildness we admire collides with the needs of civilization and threatens our economy and our security. So civilization responds with guns, traps, and poison to guard our territory against this natural trespasser. Biologists remind us of the necessity of predators in a balanced, healthy ecosystem, and we wonder, are we predators or partners? Whether tucked comfortably in our beds or zipped into high-tech sleeping bags, when light fades, we may hear a primal song. Call it God's dog or the devil's. The four-legged, energy-efficient, and sustainable coyote has one eye on dinner and one eye on us. Thank you for listening. Science Questions is produced by Sherry Quinn and Susie Montgomery. And special thanks to the interviewees who went out of their way to show us around and who are honest in their perspective. For more information, visit sqradio.org.